This year, although there is no improvement in the number of respondents saying they will spend more this year than last year, just under 10%, there has been a sharp drop in, the, in those saying they will spend less this year, from 55% last year to only 43% this year. Based on these results, it is very likely that consumers will spend slightly more this holiday season than they did last year. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Today is Wednesday, November 25th. It's really nice to be sitting here with you, Alex. It's really nice to have you here on the other side of the, uh, of the booth. It's quite different. Yeah. That was Bill Hampel, chief economist at the Credit Union National Association you heard at the top. He was talking about the results of a survey that his group did about holiday shopping. Today on the podcast... Scrooge versus Santa Claus. <laughs> or, as we like to say around here, Caitlin versus Joel Waldfogel. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, clash in a minute. But first, our Planet Money indicator. The indicator is 0.7%. That is how much consumer spending rose last month after a decline of 0.6% in September. People spent more in October, not surprisingly, because it turns out they had more money in their pockets. Personal income increased 0.2% last month, and disposable personal income, the amount of money we have left over after our taxes, increased 0.4%. That's the most disposable personal income has increased since May. So people are definitely feeling a little more flush than they were before. It's really amazing. Like all these, all these uh, positive numbers. We haven't had this many positive numbers in the podcast since I don't, I don't know when. <laughs> I know. Maybe things are turning around. Um, if you haven't guessed yet, today's podcast is going to be all about shopping. Yay! I love shopping. I didn't say we were actually going shopping. I said we we're going to be talking about shopping. Oh, right. Well, that'll have to do. (laughs) Now, Caitlin, everybody who knows you knows that you are a big fan of shopping, especially holiday shopping, um, which I find hard to believe since I hate it so much. How do you hate it? I I don't like it very much Are you those people, they do surveys and people have anxiety around holiday shopping? Is that you? So much anxiety. But um, because you don't have this anxiety, when we got this book here in the studio called Scroogeonomics, Why You Shouldn't Buy Presents for the Holidays, we knew... You would have to talk with the author of that book, Joel Waldfogel. Yeah, to be fair, I did warn Joel before we talked that if he's Scrooge, that makes me Santa. I really, (laughs) really love Christmas. I already have a holiday cookie extravaganza baking party planned for next weekend, and I've been thinking about how I'm going to decorate my apartment. Every time I go online, I see all these new decorations, and I'm like, oh, my God, I totally have to have that. And this is really bad. I can't stop listening to All I Want for Christmas is You on repeat. Over and over. Oh, well, everybody does that. But the other stuff, I don't know. <laughs> um, but so, yes, we understand. You are you are a big fan of Christmas. So you talked to this guy, Joel Waldfogel. Yeah, Joel's a professor of business and public policy at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's not just some guy who came out with this whole thing. He'd done a ton of research. He's been a professor for a long time, and he's surveyed hundreds of his students about gifts they had received and how much value they would assign to them. Right. And- he, he asked them this question, like, how much did the gift cost and how much would you have paid yourself for the gift? And basically, there's a big difference between how much the gift actually cost and how much people would have paid if they had to buy it for themselves. Right. There was a huge gap there. And that, to him, he sees as waste, and he gets really upset by it. And he, this book actually started back in 1993. He wrote this paper that was called The Deadweight Loss of Christmas, which is just... Just to hear the word dead weight and Christmas in the same sentence, it just doesn't feel right to me. But um, <laughs> I started our interview by asking him to explain to me what he's talking about when he talks about dead weight. 
normally I'll only buy something for myself uh, if it's worth at least the price to me. So if I see a $50 sweater, I'll only buy it if it's worth at least $50 to me. And in that way, normal spending produces satisfaction that's sort of equal to or greater than the spending that occurs. With gift giving, though, it's a little bit different. If I set out to spend $50 on you, I'm operating at a huge disadvantage. I don't know what you like. I don't know what you already have. So I could spend $50 and buy something that's worth nothing to you. So say, for example, you bought me a $50 toaster for Christmas. I I don't need a toaster. I don't really have room for one in my Christmas. You're saying that's just a drain on the economy, just lost money. Well, yeah, and particularly if I buy you a toaster and you don't need it, so you stick it in a closet and that's where it stays forever. Something cost real resources, so, you know, some elves, so to speak, had to make that toaster. But if it generates no use and no satisfaction for anyone, then it's just pure waste. And on the basis of lots of surveys I've done over the years with lots of students, the spending others do for us produces 20% less, less satisfaction than the spending we do for ourselves per dollar that we spend. Now, what about regifting? Say you give me the toaster, I don't like it, but I decide to give it to someone else who likes it. Well, so regifting would be a move toward efficiency as long as something ends up with someone who actually values it, and in particular, values it as much as they would have valued, uh, you know, uh, uh, what they would have purchased with what that thing cost. Then we're in sort of happy efficiency land. This started with a paper you wrote back in 1993, and um, I read you talking about it somewhere and saying that you had uh, quite an explosive reaction at the time. Well, you know, at the time, I was a young, naive economist, and uh, uh, I, I think I wasn't as, as delicate in describing what I was learning from the, the research as I've learned to be now. I think some people perceive me as attacking Christmas, which I never meant to, just the sloppy way that we celebrate it. Now, what about the satisfaction as a giver that you get from giving these presents to other people? I can understand that, you know, as a recipient, maybe you're destroying value, but maybe, you know, the value that's generated as a giver, giving a gift that you that someone really loves. Well, I think giver giver joy is really an important phenomenon, but I don't think that the joy of giving can rescue bad giving. But let me give you an example to sort of talk it through. Suppose I buy you a sweater. I spend $50, but it's worth only $30 to you. So far, it's a loser as a transaction. But suppose I get joy of giving out of this uh, exercise. I get another 30 in joy for me. So now the total satisfaction that's been created is 30 plus 30 or 60, which is bigger than 50. Sounds like joy of giving uh, could make bad giving okay. But I, I would argue that's not right. If I also get joy out of giving you something you actually wanted, something that would be worth at least 50 to you, then we could have produced at least 80 worth of satisfaction, and instead we got only 60. Compared to what we could have done with a carefully chosen or an item that you actually wanted, we're missing out. So although I think joy of giving is very important, I don't think it can rescue bad giving as good. Now, what about people who say, you know, maybe gift giving is, is a little more like gambling. You know, we know there's not always the best chance of return, but every once in a while you hit the jackpot and you give that gift that is just perfect. And, you know, the joy you get from seeing that person so delighted at what you've given them just kind of makes up for maybe all those mediocre responses you got on your other gifts. Well, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, even in my own data, uh, there's a distribution of outcomes. I mean, sometimes uh, recipients get things they value substantially more than the price paid. And, you know, even in theory, that, that one should expect that to happen. After all, we're not uh, perfectly informed. It's possible if you know someone well and you know a lot about the kinds of things they might like, you could choose something for them that they wouldn't have chosen for themselves, but it's really delightful to them. Um, so I, I think 
especially when you think you, uh, uh, you might have an idea that would accomplish that, and that's more likely to happen with somebody you know pretty well, you go ahead and do that. But again, it doesn't happen on average, and it's really quite unlikely to happen for people you don't know very well. But what if, because, you know, we've all grown up to be so good at pretending to really enjoy gifts that we don't like receiving, which you talk about in the book, what if there are some people who naively think that, you know, every gift they give is producing the same amount of satisfaction, and so they just go along thinking that they're giving perfect gifts and everything's evening out? Well, frankly, I think that's exactly what happens. And I mean, I don't want people to become rude and tell their givers, you know, I hate this and I'm not so fond of you either. But I think the 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 norms we've developed of politeness and decency, there is it, there is sort of a rule against uh, uh, saying I don't like this, and I think that's what allows the the inefficient giving, gift giving to persist. Now, you also talk in the book about the stigmatization of cash giving. Yeah, that's right. So, in principle, the the solution to this whole problem would simply be for givers to give cash. That's what I thought 15 years ago. But, you know, it turns out that's not really true because cash is a very socially awkward gift. So, to tell people they should engage in some behavior that makes them uncomfortable, that's not really a solution to anything. Uh, the solution really is to get recipients the uh, the ability to choose what they want or make sure they end up with something that they actually want. So there there are ways to do that. There's something that's very much like cash, gift cards. If I give gift cards, I'm allowing the recipient to choose which item, at least among the items at that particular store, he or she wants to choose. You know, if you have an obligation to give to some adult, one way to discharge that obligation might be to give them a, a charitable gift card. Now, one sort of hard economic reason why that's a good idea comes from, uh, uh, you know, what is it we're trying to accomplish with gifts? One of the things is we're trying to allow our recipient to experience a luxury that they can't normally afford. And while we usually think of fancy chocolates and jewelry as luxuries, one of the clearest luxuries in the household spending data is actually cash gifts to charity. That is, if you look across households, higher income households allocate a higher share of their budget to charitable giving. Now, that suggests that all of us would like to do that if just we had more money. So one way I could uh, give a gift, I could give someone a charity gift card, allows him or her to choose which charity gets the, the resources. That recipient gets to act like a rich guy and give to charity, and uh, no value gets destroyed because I'm not giving him some piece of junk he doesn't want, and we all get to feel good about having done something good instead of just uh, exchanging things that people don't want. And speaking of luxuries, uh, another thing that you talk about is how Christmas spending has become equated as more of a necessity to us than a luxury. And I think you said based on your data that as our incomes increase, the proportion of Christmas spending doesn't always increase proportionally. That's right. I mean, there are a couple of different ways to look at this. One is historically. If you go back in the book, I go back to 1935, even earlier, we have comparable data. And you know, since that time, uh, uh, the economy has grown essentially by a factor of five in the United States. But holiday gift spending has only grown by a factor of three. So, of course, it's gone up, but it's gone up for less than the growth in the economy, which is consistent with holiday gift giving being a necessity and not a luxury. Because as we've gotten richer, we haven't spent proportionally more on it. We've spent proportionally less. We see the same kind of patterns across households, you know, whereas uh, charitable giving is, is a really clear luxury in the household spending data. Uh, holiday gift giving is not. Higher income households spend more on it, but not proportionally more, actually proportionally less. So it really looks like holiday gift giving is a necessity, an obligation, as opposed to something we would love to do even more of if only we had more money. 
We talked a lot about Christmas, and I know you've done research and looked at um, the spending associated with other holidays, Hanukkah and also uh, Diwali in the Indian culture. How does that relate to our Christmas spending? I mean, do we do you see these same trends emerge, or we, can no one compete yeah, we, with do, the we, commercialism of Christmas, I guess? Well, a couple of things to say. I mean, first of all, just in, the, in terms of the, the, the mismatch of the gifts, this, the phenomenon I, de- I identify, this deadweight loss phenomenon, seems to arise in any gift-giving cultures or any situations where someone other than the ultimate consumer is choosing the stuff. So we see it in, in the Indian evidence. Uh, we see it for Hanukkah. So it's not just about Christmas. It's really just about gift-giving. But a separate issue is just, you know, are, are, are Americans alone in this phenomenon? Are we, you know, I always kind of assumed that we'd be the world leaders in the commercialization of Christmas, because after all, we're the world leaders in obesity and we're world leaders in gasoline consumption. So uh, I thought we'd be out ahead on this one, too. It turns out we're not alone. Uh, if you look at this December spending spike, it, it appears in almost every major economy in the world. Actually, it doesn't happen in December in Israel and doesn't happen in December in China and Korea, uh, but uh, just because of the different timing of gift-giving holidays. But not only are we not alone, we're not even nearly the leaders. The December spending spike, we're about 20th on the list. Uh, I have to say uh, I was to, really surprised when I read that in your book. I, I too, expected us to be much higher. I, I was, too. And even in terms of per capita spending, we're well down the list. So uh, per capita holiday gift spending. So this thing I identify as a problem that I say generates $13 billion in missing satisfaction in the U.S., well, it generates $25 billion per year in missing satisfaction around the world. So, uh, you know, it's a worldwide problem. You must really hate Secret Santa, where people in offices draw names of someone who maybe works in another part of the office that they've never seen before. Well, you know, uh, Secret Santa is interesting because I, 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 is it good or bad? You know, the question is always compared to what? I mean, compared to doing no gift giving, I suppose it's inefficient because by definition, you have to buy for someone you don't know. On the other hand, you know, if there are, if there are 11 people in the office and everyone bought 10 gifts for each of the other people, compared to that, Secret Santa is great. I think so. I, I like. I'm an optimist. I like to think of Secret Santa. I'm not as sure a I would describe you as an optimist, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, I think of myself as an. I think of myself as a good gift giver too. But uh, that's another story. Let me you know, let me ask you about your own personal gift giving experiences. So, um, what's the worst present that you ever received? Oh, you know, here we run up against the norm. I can't, I can't talk about bad gifts because that, that might be offensive to someone. I could talk about the worst gifts I've ever given. <laughs> what are the I'm worst? Only offending me? Tell me those. Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes I'll get very excited about some musical artist and get the idea in my head that that some friend of mine ought to also be excited about that same musical artist and buy you know the whole stack of CDs that the, the band ever produced and give it as a gift, you know, expecting them to. Uh, to be delighted, and I'm quite certain that it has not always been as delightful as I thought it would be. And uh, anything specific you're hoping for this holiday season as a gift? Well, I honestly want uh, people to have happy and efficient holidays. That would be the best gift for me if people just uh, were a little more careful and we didn't destroy so much value this time of year. So maybe we should change our, our, our Merry Christmas and our holiday well wishes to please have happy and efficient holiday season. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, if we could divert, say, a billion dollars to charity at this time of year, then maybe I could get to uh, join the ranks of the jet-setting do-gooder economists who get to hang with Bono. That would be nice. So Joel's real Christmas wish, he wants to hang out with Bono. Come on, <laughs> right, let's be exactly. honest. <laughs> who doesn't? I think it's just so funny, like, the, all the numbers and the data that he that he has brought to, to studying this problem. The one thing that was unclear about, and maybe maybe in talking with him more, you, you, you knew – 
what does he want to happen? I mean, you know, is he just purely like a Scrooge, or does he? He he has a prescription for how to do how, yeah. to, how to do Christmas better, he right? Yeah, he doesn't want us to. Give, I mean, in an ideal world, he says, the situation would be that we would just give each other cash, and then you would spend on what you want to spend it on. I'd spend it on what I want to spend on. But and there wouldn't be this social stigma attached to cash. Exactly. Gifts, right? But because there is, he's really a big proponent of gift cards. He's really into them, especially for charities. He thinks, as you mentioned before, he said that's a luxury a lot of people can't afford. So he really wants to move us in that direction. Yeah. Well, I think that probably uh, wraps it up for us today. Some things to keep in mind on the uh, first day of uh Christmas shopping season, which starts this Friday. Can't um, wait. Yeah, I'm sure you can't. <laughs> um, uh, be sure to visit our blog, npr.org slash money, and let us know who you think won this debate, Scrooge or Santa. Me, me, definitely. <laughs> you can also email us at planetmoney at npr.org. I personally would love to hear your stories about the worst gift you ever got or maybe the worst gift you ever gave. I've given one or two, maybe two bad gifts in my day, I have to admit. Uh, but, yep. That's going to be it for us here today. I'm Caitlin Kenny. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. Start to rock.